Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Beloved congregation, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ in the communion of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The word of the Lord comes to us this Easter morning from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. We read the first 10 verses. Matthew 28, the verses 1 through 10, and the first eight verses of this chapter form our text this morning. Let us hear the word of God. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So far the word of God. Beloved congregation, next perhaps to Christmas, Easter is the most significant day in the Christian calendar. And it's so significant, in fact, that this day is still celebrated by millions of people across the entire world. And even though many people today have no idea what happened On this day, they at least know that this is a special day, if only because it's part of a long weekend that begins on Good Friday and ends today. But, congregation, what happened on this day that made it so special? Why do we celebrate this day? What what happened today? And we have an answer to that question in the passage of Scripture that we read together from Matthew chapter 28 and the first eight verses. And there we have the record of the women at the tomb of Jesus, the empty tomb of Jesus. And it's interesting and significant that the first people to see the resurrected Christ were not men, they were not disciples even, but they were a group of women. And why that is the case is not clear. We know that unlike other religious leaders, Jesus had great respect for women. He frequently ministered to them and engaged them in conversation. 
And we know, too, that women also loved and respected and ministered to the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, some of Jesus' most faithful followers were women. And women also readily accepted his claims and believed his word more, perhaps, than men. And that was certainly true when it came to Jesus' resurrection. We read about that earlier in our scripture passage. The women believed, but the disciples did not. And maybe it's for that reason, as a kind of reward for their faith, that that Jesus first revealed himself to women and first caused women to hear the good news that he had risen from the dead. Well, with this in mind and God's help, let's consider the words of our text under this theme, the women at the tomb of Jesus. And we'll consider, first of all, the discovery they made, secondly, the message that they heard, and then thirdly, the joy they experienced. So first, the discovery they made, the message they heard, and the joy they experienced. Matthew tells us that the events of our text took place very early on the first day of the week. Very early, meaning just at the break of dawn, just when the sun was beginning to come over the horizon. And Matthew tells us that some women, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and according to Luke's gospel, several other women were making their way to the tomb of the Lord Jesus. And they were going there, you remember, to complete the anointing of his body for burial. They had begun that process some days earlier on Friday afternoon, late in the afternoon. That's when the Lord Jesus had died, when he had given up his spirit. But because it was so late and the Sabbath day was fast approaching, they decided to complete the work that they had started on the first day of the week. And so that's why they came. They came very early. First thing in the morning, they came to the tomb of Jesus. Now, Matthew tells us that as they were making their way to the tomb, there was a great earthquake. Now, this wasn't the first earthquake to hit this region. An earthquake occurred immediately after Jesus gave up his spirit on the cross. We read about that again in Matthew's gospel in Matthew 27, the previous chapter, verses 51 and 52. We read there that as soon as Jesus gave up his spirit, that the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And then we read these words, And the earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So there was an earthquake just three days before. Now there's something significant about that. Earthquakes in the scriptures often accompany the mighty acts of God. You think, for example, when God gave the law on Mount Sinai, then too there was an earthquake. And the Bible tells us that when the Lord Jesus Christ comes again, there will again be earthquakes that will shake the ground. And these earthquakes serve as tangible evidence of the power and the presence of God. And that is true here as well. As the women approached this tomb, God made his presence felt by sending this earthquake by causing the earth to shake. And then just as suddenly 
we read an angel appeared. Matthew provides us with a description of that angel in verse 3 of our text. He says his countenance was like lightning. His countenance referring to to his face. It was like lightning. And his clothing was as white as snow. And this too is significant. The angel's bright appearance and, 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 and his face, like lightning, suggests that he had come directly from the very throne room of God himself. We know from the scriptures that whenever any creature has direct contact with God, that they reflect his heavenly glory. Remember the time when Moses came down the mountain after he had received the law and he was up there for for 40 days and nights. And when he came back down the mountain, his face shone with the glory of God. And it was so bright, in fact, that the people of Israel told him to put a veil over his face because they could not bear to look upon him. Or you think, for example, of the angel who announced the birth of the Messiah to the shepherds in the fields outside of Bethlehem. His brightness was so, was so powerful, the Bible says, that the glory of the Lord shone round about the shepherds. It lit up the whole region where they were. And the same is true here. This angel lit up the entire tomb and the whole surrounding area. He radiated with the glory of God. Well, upon seeing this angel... Matthew tells us that the soldiers who were guarding the tomb became like dead men. You remember these soldiers had been stationed there by Pontius Pilate after Jesus died. You remember the story how the religious leaders came to Pilate and they told him that, uh, that his disciples had said that after he died, that three days later he would rise again from the tomb. And they were afraid that, that the disciples might come and steal the body of the Lord Jesus and therefore claim that Jesus had indeed risen as he had said. And so they asked Pilate to send a guard and to station that guard to the entrance of the tomb, preventing anybody from breaking in. And Pilate agreed to this, and he stationed these soldiers there, When these soldiers felt that earthquake and when they saw the angel of the Lord standing before them, Matthew says they they literally fainted. They became like dead men. They collapsed right where they were standing. And it wasn't so much the earthquake that frightened them out of their wits. It It was the sight of the angel. And that's not surprising, really, when you think about it. Again and again in the Scriptures, we find that when sinful man comes into direct contact with the glory of God, he quakes in fear. That's exactly what happened when Adam transgressed against God, when he partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he heard God in the garden. He ran and hid himself in the trees of the garden, anything to hide himself from the presence of the holy God. You remember the story of Manoah, the father of Samson, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah, told him that he and his wife would have a son. Manoah also quaked in fear. Even Isaiah, the holy prophet of the Lord, when he saw the Lord in that vision in Isaiah 6, sitting on his throne of the temple, he quaked in fear. And he said, Woe is me, for I am undone. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And we see the same thing happening here. These guards, these these rough and, and tough 
and battle-hardened soldiers who were used to being scared. These men were so frightened at what they saw that they became like dead men. While as these guards lay motionless on the ground, the angel proceeded to roll away the stone that had sealed the entrance to the tomb. And you understand, congregation, that was no small feat. The stone that sealed the entrance to the tomb was so large and so heavy that it would have taken several grown men to move it, but this angel moved it all by himself. The power the angels of God have. Two angels could destroy the entire cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Here's this one angel, and he rolls the stone away all by himself. And Matthew says that after he rolled it away, he sat upon it. Now the question can be raised, why did the angel roll away the stone from the tomb? You ever ask yourself that question? Why did he do that? Why did the angel roll away the stone from the tomb? Well, some have said that he rolled it away to let Jesus out. But think about that. Can that be, did Jesus really need an angel to roll away the stone to let him out? Of course not. Jesus is Almighty God. And had he not manifested his power many times throughout his, throughout his earthly ministry, he healed the sick, he, he cast out demons, he fed the multitude, he restored sight to the blind, he calmed the wind and the waves, he walked on water, he even raised the dead. If he could do these things, he could he could easily cause that stone to roll away simply by speaking a word. And it would be done. Besides that, remember that by this time Jesus' body was glorified, and as such it was not bound to the physical limitations of this world. So when the disciples, for example, later on that day when they were gathered together in the upper room, remember the doors were locked. The Gospels specifically state that. The doors were locked. And yet Jesus simply instantly appeared in that room. He wasn't limited by by doors and and walls. And when he was eating with the two uh, men at Emmaus, remember, Jesus suddenly disappeared. He could come and go as he pleased in in his glorified body. And so if he wanted to walk out of a sealed tomb, he could do exactly that. In fact, it's likely that Jesus had already emerged from the tomb even before the angel arrived. So why did the angel roll away the stone from the tomb? Well, I'll tell you why. It's not to let Jesus out, but it was to let the women, and later on Peter and John, who also came to the tomb, it was to let the women and Peter and John in. You see, congregation, our Lord knew how difficult it was and it would have been for the women as well as his disciples, to really believe that he had risen from the dead. He had told them that he would. But he knew how difficult this would be for them to believe. And so he sent this angel before he departed from his heavenly throne room back to the tomb where his body lay. He commissioned this angel to roll away the stone from the tomb so that the women and Peter and John could see for themselves with their own eyes that he had indeed risen from the dead. What a, 
What a marvelous illustration of the condescension of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. How, how, how deeply he bows towards the weakness of our faith. You know, we're not much different than the disciples and these women. Sometimes we too can struggle with various issues relating to faith and, and, and some of the teachings, some of the doctrines of the Bible. And our Lord knows how, how slow of heart we are to believe all that God has revealed to us in his word. And so he condescends to our unbelief, doesn't he? And he gives us his word. He gives us the preaching of his word. He gives us the church where we may come together and hear these things explained to us. Just as he caused the stone to be rolled away from the tomb for their benefit, so the Lord condescends to the weakness of our faith time and time again. This morning, the Lord in his word invites also us to come and look into the empty tomb and to believe with all of our heart what the scriptures teach, that Jesus has indeed risen from the dead. You say, oh, if only I could be there. If only I could see these things with my own eyes. But, beloved, we have it here in the Word. In the very Word of God, which is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And in that sense, what we have, the record that we have here in this book, is even, is even more sure than seeing it with our own eyes. Did you realize that? We have a more sure record here in this Bible than seeing these events with our own eyes. And the Lord Jesus Christ comes to us and he says, Oh, believe it. Believe that I have risen from the dead. Well, these women made a shocking discovery. The tomb was empty. But then, as we see in our second point, they also heard a wonderful message. As the women gazed at this empty tomb, suddenly we read this angel appeared. Perhaps it was the same angel that had rolled away the stone. And like the guards before them, the women were frightened, although not to the same extent as the Roman soldiers. They didn't faint, but they were definitely frightened. And who wouldn't be? I mean, imagine looking into a tomb and seeing not only that it was empty, but that there was this man standing there. And the angels sensed their fear, and he said to them, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. How many times do we not read that in the Scriptures? Fear not. The old King James has it. Fear not. We read it again and again and again. The people of God are a fearful people. But God comes to them through his angels, through his prophets, and he says to them again and again, do not be afraid. He says it here as well, do not be afraid. And the original Greek is, is very emphatic here. The King James has, fear not ye. And all the emphasis is on that word ye, referring to the women. You see, the angel here is contrasting the reaction of the Roman soldiers to what ought to be the reaction of these believing women. The soldiers were frightened out of their wits, so much so that they fainted right where they stood. But that is not what we would expect from the women, because the soldiers were not believers, but these women 
were. And so the angel says, don't be like them. Fear not ye. Don't you be afraid. Of all people, don't you be afraid because you are believers in the Lord Jesus. And the angel will soon say to them, you have come to seek Jesus whom they have crucified. They came to seek Jesus and as such they had nothing to fear. God was not angry with them just as God is not angry with his people today because they're hidden in Christ. They're clothed in the righteousness of Christ and their sins have been washed away by the blood of Christ. And so the angel says to us in this text and God himself says to us if you're a believer in Christ this morning don't you be afraid. Don't be afraid of anything. Don't be afraid of my wrath. It's been assuaged by my son. Don't be afraid of what tomorrow may bring because I have your times in my hand. Don't be afraid of this pandemic. Don't be afraid of the government and the possible consequences of meeting together. Don't be afraid. Fear not ye, he says. Of all the people in the world who should be afraid, it's unbelievers, it's the ungodly, but not us. Fear not. Do not be afraid. And to confirm this, the angel said, and almost to give a reason why they should not be afraid, he says, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. What a beautiful description of these women. I know you seek Jesus who was crucified. They were people who were seeking Jesus. And they were seeking him because they loved him. And because they wanted to demonstrate that love by anointing his body for burial. And so they came. And they didn't understand how they were going to roll away the stone from the tomb. In fact, while they were walking to the tomb, they asked themselves that very question. They didn't know how they were going to get past the Roman guard, but they just knew they were drawn by love for him. And so they came with those spices in their hands to show their love for Jesus. These were people that were seeking Jesus who was crucified. What a beautiful description, beloved. Is that a description of you this morning? Why did you come here this morning? Why did you come to church this morning? Why did you get out of bed and put on your clothes and some of you driven all the way from Chilliwack and further afield to come here this morning? Was it just custom? Just tradition? Because it's the thing to do? Because Christians come together on Easter Sunday of all the days of the year? It's especially on this day that we must worship God. Oh, that's good. Nothing wrong with that. But did you come seeking Jesus and him crucified? Have you seen something of your need for him? Have you been convicted of your sins before him? Have you come to that point where you say, I cannot stand before God apart from being cleansed in his blood and clothed in his righteousness. I need him in my life and I want to live for him and I love him with all of my heart. Is that why you came here? Are you numbered among those who are seeking Christ 
crucified. Oh, blessed are you if you are seeking him, for he will most certainly be found by you. This is how these women came, seeking for Jesus. And the angel knew this. And so he conveyed to them something astounding. He said to them, he is not here. It's like coming to the door and saying, is so-and-so home? You know how kids, when you were small and um, or maybe kids now, even now, or when we as adults were small and you'd hear a knock on the door and it would be your friend down the street. They'd say, is so-and-so here? Can I, can I come in and can, I, can he come out and play or can she come out and play? And then sometimes you have to say, well, he's not here. Or they phone and they say, well, can I speak to so-and-so? I'm sorry, he's not here. You see, these women had come seeking for Jesus, but they had come seeking for a physical Jesus. They wanted to see him with their eyes. And so the the angel says, well, in that respect, you're not going to find him. He is not here. He is not here. And how strange those words must must have sounded to these women. Not here? Where could he possibly be? He was here three days ago. We saw with our own eyes the place where they had laid him. We saw Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus laying him there on that ledge in that tomb. And and we saw how they wrapped up his body with the grave clothes. and, And now you say he is not here. How can that be? Where is he? And all these questions must have gone through their mind and and they didn't understand. They didn't know the answer to any of these questions. And, and the angel, the angel knowing this, he, he gives them the answer. He says, he says, he is risen. He is risen. What an astounding statement. And it's one thing to hear that he's not here. It's another thing to hear that he has risen. Risen from the dead. This was astounding. Women, of course, they had heard that Jesus had said this, but temporarily they had forgotten. And that's why, that's why the angel, you notice, he adds there, he is risen as he said. He's reminding these women of the words that Jesus himself had spoken. Oh, how we need to be reminded of the promises of God, don't we? We're so prone to forget those promises. We, you know, the Bible is just so full of promises and something happens in our lives we begin to, to despair. We don't know how to, how to get through all of this. And, and all we have to do is open up the Bible and remind ourselves of what God has already said. We don't do that enough. And these women didn't do that. They had heard Jesus say several times, the disciples had heard him say several times that he would be crucified, that he would be maltreated, but that on the third day he would rise from the dead. And that's exactly what happened. Jesus had risen from the dead. Yes, every word that the Lord speaks is true, beloved. Believe that. Remember that. God never, ever speaks a lie. Whatever he says is true. All of his promises are true. They are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. So when Jesus says, I'm going to rise on the third day, that's exactly what's going to happen. And that's exactly what did happen. Jesus rose. And to convince them of this, the angel invites these women to come into the tomb themselves and see for themselves. Come, he said. 
see the place where the Lord lay. And they did. Maybe some of them peered sort of at the edge of the tomb, too afraid to go in. Others just walked right in like Peter did later on. And they saw that ledge where they had lain the body of the Lord Jesus, and it was empty. The body of Jesus was not there. And again, questions must have multiplied in their minds. What could have possibly happened to it? Could someone have taken it away? That's what Mary Magdalene concluded later on. She thought that Jesus was the gardener. She says, oh, oh, if you have taken him away, she said, please, please tell me, and I, and I will take him away. But the indicators in the text seem to suggest that these women, as soon as they saw that the tomb was empty, believed that Jesus had risen from the dead. His body hadn't been stolen. The gardener hadn't taken it away. He had risen. And we know that because as soon as, as, soon as they heard these words, we'll see that later on, they went back to Jerusalem to convey to the disciples exactly that message. They believed. He had risen from the dead. And now they had to go and tell the disciples. And Jesus, or rather the gospel, Matthew here, tells us what the angel said to them. He gave them an important commission. Go quickly, he said, and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. It's so beautiful, isn't it, that word quickly there? Go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. Why did they have to go quickly? Why that little adverb, quickly? Well, partly because it was such good news that they simply couldn't keep it to themselves. This is news that simply had to be shared. But also because these disciples so desperately needed to hear this. Where were the disciples when all these events were taking place? They were still in Jerusalem, behind locked doors, probably in the upper room someplace, afraid of the Jews and and downcast, dispirited. Jesus was dead. And they had abandoned him. None of them were there when Jesus was dying on the cross, except for John. The others were all cowering in fear someplace in Jerusalem. Peter had denied him. And they must have thought to themselves, oh, I'm not worthy to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus. And... All their hopes were dashed. They had such great expectations. Jesus was going to be the promised Messiah. He was going to deliver his people, establish the kingdom of God, kick out the Romans. And now everything had just come crashing down. And our Lord knew this. He knew how his disciples were discouraged and deflated and dispirited. And so, and so lest his disciples be overcome with grief, Jesus commissioned this angel. He said to him, probably still in the heavenly throne room, after you've told the women that I have risen, I want you to tell them something else. I want you to tell them to go back to Jerusalem and go find my disciples and tell them, tell them that I have risen from the dead. 
And again, you see how good and how gracious the Lord is and how, how He condescends to the weakness of our faith and how, and how long-suffering He is too. I mean, Jesus, Jesus would have been perfectly just to abandon these disciples and, and to build His kingdom on the backs of other men. At the very least, he would have been perfectly just to just allow them to wallow in their guilt. So as to teach them a lesson, maybe. But our Lord is not like that. He's not a cruel and a harsh taskmaster, but he's a gentle shepherd of souls, and his heart, even at this moment, goes out to them in pity and compassion. And he wants these women to go quickly and tell his disciples that he had risen from the dead. That tells us something, doesn't it? It tells us that the Lord doesn't want us as believers to live in perpetual doubt and fear. He wants us as believers to rejoice, to be glad, He wants our hearts to go out to him in love and gratitude, not perpetually plagued by guilt and despair. No, not that. He wants our guilt and despair to be replaced with joy and confidence in him. He wants us to have hope, to cling to hope, beloved. Oh, yes, when we look at ourselves, there's no hope at all. Disciples saw that too, no doubt, as they were sitting there in Jerusalem mourning over their their failures and their shortcomings. They understood in a way that they perhaps never had before that there is no hope in man at all. And when we come to that point where we lose all hope in man and the Lord comes and he says, ah, but there's hope in me. And this is the message of Easter, beloved. It's a message of hope. For it tells us that we serve not a dead, but a living Savior, one who has all power and all authority in heaven and on earth, and who therefore can save and preserve and defend his people until he comes again. And this is the message that the women were to proclaim to the disciples. He is risen. Go quickly. Tell them he is risen from the dead. There's something else they had to tell. They had to tell them that he would go before them and meet them in Galilee. Oh, what wonderful news. It just, it just gets better and better, doesn't it? Not only had he risen from the dead, but, but he would see them and they would see him in Galilee. Now, they would see him even before then, proving again that the Lord is sometimes even better than his own word. They would see him Later that same day, in the upper room in Jerusalem, when Jesus appeared to them without Thomas being present, the women would see him as they were making their way back to Jerusalem. Suddenly Jesus appeared, and they held him by the feet, and they worshipped him. The two men on the way to Emmaus, they also saw him, and they, they ate with him. So the disciples would see him too, but but they would see him for a longer period of time in Galilee. You say, why Galilee? Well, 
probably because that's where they were all from. Most of them, anyway. And also because this is where our Lord began his earthly ministry. This is where it all began. And what is more, Galilee, remember, was was far to the north. It was far away from the political and religious nerve center of Jerusalem and therefore away from the watchful eye of the Jewish religious and political leaders who, who you remember, were not at all favorably disposed towards Christ and his disciples. It was there in Galilee that Jesus could meet with his disciples in peace and safety. And so that is where he directed the disciples to go. Go to Galilee, and there I will see you. What was the purpose of this meeting? Well, partly to prove to them that the disciples had not been hallucinating the night that they saw the Lord Jesus. They would see him again and again and again. Several times they would see him in the flesh. And also partly to impart to them some last-minute instructions. You see, Jesus was about to ascend to his Father in heaven for 40 days after this. He would ascend to his Father. He would take his rightful place at the right hand of his father in heaven, but he still had much to teach them. And so he would meet them in Galilee, and there he would impart this this last-minute instruction to them. I will meet you in Galilee. And beloved, you know, the the Lord also promises to meet with us, doesn't he? We all have an appointment with Jesus. And when that time comes... We don't know. He knows. He knows the day of our death. He knows the day of his second coming. But he will meet with us. This promise that he made to the disciples also applies to us. We will meet him. Or rather, he will meet with us. Not in Galilee, of course. How does the Lord meet with us? Oh, he meets with us in the privacy of our homes, doesn't he? When we read his word and we spend time in prayer and meditation and the Lord meets with us. He meets with us particularly as we gather together as his covenant people in the assembly of God. In the worship service, Christ meets with us in a particular way, in a special way that he doesn't meet with us at home. That's why coming together is so vitally important to our spiritual life, beloved. That's why online worship isn't worship. Online worship is a great blessing. It enables us to to watch worship, but it's not worship. Whatever Bonnie Henry may say, it's not worship. It's particularly here in the assembly of the people of God that Christ is pleased to meet with us through his word and through his Holy Spirit. But ultimately, he will meet with us when he comes again. First, as the Apostle Paul says, when we go to meet him in the air. But then as we stand before his throne, praising and worshiping him to an everlasting eternity. Oh, what a glorious meeting that will be. And we shall be in our glorified body. We shall see him with our physical eyes. We'll see the wounds in his hands and in his feet and the gash in his side. We will see him as a lamb that was slain. And we'll fall down on our faces before him and worship him forever and ever. Yes, we will meet him. For the unbelieving and the ungodly, that will be the most terrifying day 
in their lives. Jesus says that when he comes again, that the wicked and unbelieving will say to the mountains and the hills, fall on us and cover us, anything to hide them from the holy gaze of the righteous king of all the earth. But for those who are in Christ, this meeting will be the sweetest day imaginable, for they shall behold him who died for them and who loved them from all eternity. And we shall feel his embrace and we shall hear the sound of his voice and the smile on his face. It will be a meeting like no other. And it will never end. And in that sense, it will be even better than the meeting that Jesus had with the disciples. When Jesus met the disciples in Galilee, after a while, he left again. He stayed for some 40 days, appearing every now and again, but at the end of these 40 days, as we said, he ascended up into heaven. And there he remains to this day. They were separated from him. But when the people of God go to meet him in heaven, not in Galilee, but in heaven, they shall never be separated from him again. Oh, beloved, are you looking forward to that meeting? I'm sure that the disciples were excited to hear that Jesus would meet them in Galilee. How much more excited should we be to know that one day we shall meet him in glory. And so the angel gave the women this amazing message. Now, how did they respond to that? Very briefly. Look at verse 8. It says, There they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples word. Notice there's that word quickly again. The women didn't stand there and debate among themselves what they should do. They responded in faith to what the angel told them. They did exactly what he commanded them to do. They went quickly back to Jerusalem to bring his disciples' word. Beloved, is that how you and I respond to the word of God? When the word of God comes to us and commands us to do this or to do that, when it commands us to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, to repent of sin, to put sin to death in our lives, do we do it? Or do we hum and haw about it and debate and question and, and, and wonder and, and say, woe is me and who is sufficient for these things? The women went out quickly and they did exactly what God commanded them to do. And they did so, the Bible says, with fear and great joy. What an odd combination of words. With fear and great joy. It almost sounds contradictory, doesn't it? But this is exactly what they experienced. They experienced fear and great joy. Fear, of course, because they had seen this mighty angel and they had, they had felt this, this earthquake and they had, saw, they had seen these soldiers lying there like dead men. But also joy. Joy, because as though they had not yet seen him, they believed the word of the angel that Christ had risen from the dead. But notice, notice how Matthew phrases this. He emphasizes the joy, doesn't he? He doesn't say they, didn't, they, they, they went to tell the disciples with great fear and joy. He doesn't say that. He doesn't even say with fear and joy. But he says with fear and great joy. Great joy. Joy was the dominant emotion as they went back 
to Jerusalem. And so it ought to be for us, beloved. Easter, as I said, is a day of joy, a day of rejoicing in what God has accomplished through Jesus Christ. I wonder if the news of the resurrection of Christ is is that which brings you joy today. There's lots of things that bring us joy in life. The birth of a child, getting together with family, vacation times, our first home, buying our first car. These things bring joy, and there's nothing wrong with that. But what brings you the greatest joy? What fills your heart with joy today? Is it family? Is it friends? Is it material things? Or is it the fact that Christ has risen from the dead? I say it again, beloved. God doesn't want us to be miserable, to be sad, and to be depressed. He wants us to rejoice. He wants us to go out with fear and great joy. And to tell others, as these women did, of the news that we have heard this morning that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Oh, our world so desperately needs to hear that message, doesn't it? It needs to hear that there's a Savior from sin. It needs to hear that there's a risen and exalted King who has all things in his control and who is coming again and that when he does, he will recreate this world and everything in it And those who believe in his name shall also themselves be recreated and it shall be a perfect world. And this is the message that the world needs to hear. And so the angel comes to us also today, beloved. He says, go out tomorrow morning in your place of work at school. Go quickly, quickly. Tell the people who have never heard what you have heard, that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Oh, may God give us grace that we may boldly proclaim this message and that the world may hear and believe and bend the knee and acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and King for their salvation and his glory. Amen.